Alright everybody, so I've had a lot of people reach out to me, giving me a lot of support for signing the People in Tech podcast, and I want to really first say thank you for supporting me, but this Anchor platform has been amazing and been changing my life, getting me connected with some people in this industry that I never thought I would actually get to not only have conversations with, but learn from. And I know some of you who are tuning in are asking, Caleb, how'd you start a podcast? You know, when I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other places people listen to? How do I make money from my podcast? Well, keep it simple. The answer to every one of these questions is Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. And we ridiculously easy to use. My very first episode I did for my iPhone 6 Plus. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors too. So you can get paid to do your own podcast. Hop on the Anchor platform so we can collaborate and build this community up. You know, one thing I love most about Anchor is that they're constantly being innovative, you know, allowing podcasts to leverage music, get sponsorship, get paid, and ultimately be the best content creator you can be. So if you've always wanted to start your podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. Again, that's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Have you ever felt? Are you listening? Damn. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the People in Tech podcast. I'm your host, Caleb King. and today's episode, we're going to be talking about e-learning. Now, I have the lovely Catherine Forden in the studio. And for those of you who don't know who Catherine is, Catherine is a e-learning specialist. She is a solution architect, chief instigation officer, entrepreneur, mentor, and one of the great women in tech. Catherine has been in the e-learning industry for about 20 plus years, uh, where she has certification in e-learning, gamification, virtual training, uh, online training, and she's worked on a variety of projects uh, with a variety of clients, both big and small. Uh, Today's episode, I'm really excited because we're going to dive deep into all things e-learning related. And this is a field that is becoming more prevalent in today's society with the move to online education, everything from high school, bachelor programs to master programs. Trust me when I say this is an episode you don't want to miss. Let's get into it. DJ Side Hustle, your mission today is to give the people, Caleb, and our lovely guest, Catherine, a smooth, cool, hip, urban beat. Don't let us down. Before we kick off today's episode, I want to first say thank you for all the new day one listeners for joining the conversation. And all we ask of you is to make sure to subscribe, five star, 
and leave a review on whatever platform it is you're listening to us on. Now, for those of you who've been listening to my podcast, you know this is the part where we do announcements and shout outs. And one of the things in terms of announcements, I've been working on the Facebook page. So make sure to follow us on Facebook, share, because I'm working on putting more content on Facebook that is separate from the podcast. Uh, we also have the Instagram page. I'm going to link all of this information in the show notes below. Also, one of my call to actions, since we are now almost through quarter one of 2018, is to make the podcast better by putting out more content. So for those of you who have not listened to the episode yet, I talked about the Uber accident in Phoenix, Arizona, and really just give you my opinion, my thoughts of where I think autonomous self-driving vehicles are going to be moving in the future and all the repercussions behind that incident. So make sure to check that out. Uh, And I'm actually really excited, guys. We have a few more episodes lined up. Uh, One of the episodes I've been asked about is like, who am I? Who is Caleb King? Who is the host? Uh, So I had Amy do an interview of me to try to answer some of those questions and really what's on my mind and where I see the podcast going. Uh, We're going to be doing an episode about how to pick a programming language in 2018, how to leverage LinkedIn to land a job. Uh, We're going to be doing a happy hour podcast episode in the near future and some of you have been asking what do you mean by happy hour podcast i'm literally talking about getting a few of my friends in the tech world get a few drinks on ourselves get that liquid encouragement and really just talk about some real topics and the cool thing about podcasts is you can always go back and edit anything that you really didn't mean to say but it probably just came out anyways but as you guys know me i keep it 100 i keep it real I do it for the people, and I have fun doing this podcast, and I want to continue to put out great content moving forward. Uh, So those all the real big announcements. Again, all we ask for you guys is to subscribe, five-star, leave a review. Now, in terms of shout-outs, really only have one shout-out. Goes out to my future nephew, my main man, Alec, for turning three. Uh, So shout-out to the McMahon family. Shout-out to the Moss family. Shout-out to the whole Midwest, because I know you guys miss the Arizona beautiful weather where right now we're chilling at a good 70 75 degrees but hey I'm not even trying to hate Midwest is beautiful as well and yeah Alex turned three so I hope he got all the toys all the dinosaurs everything he needed to be a happy kid so pretty much that's all I have for you guys enough of me talking let's talk to Catherine and get into the episode ladies and gentlemen are you What's up, Catherine? Thank you for being on the People in Tech podcast. I am super excited for this interview. And before we start, do you have anything to say to the listeners? Just, hey, hope you guys are doing well today. (laughs) Well, awesome. We'll just get into it. Uh, So we keep it pretty simple here on the podcast. So we got a list of questions. I've sent them over to you. We're going to use more of the guideline, but let's just start it off. Uh, We're going to be talking about e-learning today. Can you give us a small background of how you got into e-learning? It was, how I got into it was kind of organically. Because I had been in tech, uh, hardware, infrastructure, software for um, more than 15 years. And during that, when I was director of tech services and doing administration, I always 
uh, was a strong proponent of training and training the client and making sure they had the hit by the bus book. So you never relied on outside consultants a hundred percent. So I made sure that somebody could do at least level one troubleshooting and understood the systems they had in their building. So it kind of organically moved into more and more, um, I went and got my teaching credential in computer applications and business management and then ended up doing um, help desk support for a e-learning hosting company. And that's where, you know, putting my skills of project management and training and everything together with technical support really meshed really well. And from there, I've been directly in e-learning ever since. Oh, okay. So, like you said, it sounds like it, again, it pretty much was an organic process, right? It wasn't a, hey, I want to get into e-learning, so I went for this job and went this e-learning route, correct? Exactly. All right. It it just kind of happened. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, that leads into my next question. So, for some of our listeners, uh, they've probably heard of the topic e-learning, but you know, can you just clarify for everybody listening, what is e-learning like what do you consider e-learning well e-learning at on the tech end is um taking a class or offering a class on some sort of platform if it be an lms which is a learning management system or a webinar software or video or some other collaboration platform it includes technology and you're delivering a course through via technology and you can break it down one more level when it gets into asynchronous or synchronous learning. So then you're either self-paced independent or you're in a group or some sort of um, hybrid scenario of the two, but that's the breakdown of e-learning pretty much. Okay. So you kind of touched on a few different things and you said some key terms there. So uh, you mentioned LMS, which uh, stands for learning management system. Uh, can you give our listeners a few examples of maybe where they've seen an LMS but just didn't know about it? Yeah, if you ever logged in to take a class, if you are in an industry that does compliance training or if you're at a college and you've logged in and you had to go through um, some sort of quick training, it could have been a video or it looked like an actual syllabus, that would be a LMS and there's different levels of LMSs. You can put in a plug into a WordPress site and have an LMS on the back end, which is a pretty simplistic, uh, simple LMS. Or you can get into, you know, the big um, ones that universities use, like Blackboard, Moodle, D2L, and uh, Canvas. Okay. And there's more than that, but. Right, because, yeah, I remember when I was researching uh, for this interview that I saw a very long list, like you said. I saw WordPress, Moodle, Blackboard. I saw Drupal, and, like, the list was going on and on and on. Um, yeah, definitely. I think I tried to write a list once, and I think I've hit about 22 LMSs in my career. Okay. Uh, including so homemade ones, which were very interesting. <laughs> that, so, I guess that kind of leads into another question I was going to ask you. So... 
uh, when I was doing some research for LMS, it seemed like some of them were maintained by a big company. Some of them seemed like their LMS was their company. And some people have uh, open source LMSs where anybody can check it out and add features to it. Uh, kind of like Moodle, but on a smaller scale. In your experience, uh, what makes a good LMS compared to a bad LMS? Um, I actually speak on this at various conferences, and my first number one issue with any LMS is to make sure whatever you choose offers a industry standard of a way that you can back up your data and take it somewhere else. If you're if you select an LMS or you're in an LMS that does not let you back up your um, courses or your entire site into an industry standard and they're pretty much holding you hostage, then stay away from that one. And sadly, there are a lot of big ones that do that. And I just think it's sleazy. Um, so that's the first one. The second one is usability. So you, before you pick an LMS, you really need to look at what you're looking for and are you a small business are you a um do you offer courses and now you want to get into e-learning or are you an insurance company and you need all your clients to take safety courses to lower their insurance or are you a university so you really need to look at what is the end goal before you just go and randomly pick one and then the next one is who are the participants? What types of people are they? And um, from there, it's, you know, the accessibility and do you want it self-hosted? And then you're going to have to hire an IT staff and 24-7 to make sure there's accessibility. Or do you want to host it with another company? Do you want to customize it? Then the companies that don't have any open APIs or open source, you know, aren't going to work for you. And, you know, then the big one that all companies and universities get into is um, what do you want to integrate it with? So do you have a student information system or a CRM or are you using Salesforce and is there an HR system? And so you want people to have a single sign on and you want to be able to send the reporting and analytics back to say yes you know, to the manager that this person took the sexual harassment class or whatever. So um, it's seamless. So the information is proactive and not reactive and people don't have to go dig for the information. So a lot of people, you know, go to a conference or go to a meeting and end up signing for an LMS and they have no idea if it's going to work for them. And then they spend you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to get it to work in that company versus throwing it out and getting something that would work. Right. So like you were saying, you really have to pay attention to your audience, right? Yes. So definitely. And, you know, I've had the experience of working on LMS in the past and it is very challenging just for our listeners. So they understand uh, it's not as simple as, Hey, I have this LMS. And I want to tie it in with this CRM because that itself can be a few months of work depending on the state of your one system or whether it's a new LMS or maybe it's a certain version of the LMS and trying to make those two pieces really work together. That's challenging, correct? Yes, it is. And when you're bringing an LMS in, you're bridging the training departments, the HR department with, te with 
the uh, IT department. So there's a complicated bridge to gap to come across right there and make sure that all three of them are talking and working together. So that leads into my next question for you. We, we kind of touched on a few different points in the past answer that you just gave. But one thing we really were focusing on is you have to pay attention to your audience. And as a business or a university or a small company, you know, what is the e-learning value that someone gets, whether it's implementing an LMS or just implementing e-learning into whatever system they have? Uh, there's a lot of value that you can get. Um, I was published a couple of years ago on an infographic I created and did a lot of research on e-learning. And the big piece is if you're in an indie, any industry that you have constant education or compliance training, so nurses, um, contractors, there's new code regulations, you know, that come up or... Um, any industry like that, you, if you can pull that in-house and not, and do it sort of at a self-paced system, um, as an example, police officers. So if you're going to send them to their yearly training, you're going to have to take them off the job. You're going to have to pay them to not be working, pay someone to cover their shift pay them to go somewhere, the hotel, the food, pay the trainer, pay the hotel for the conference room, etc. And all of that time, they're just warming a seat with their butt. You have no idea if they're paying attention. You have no idea. Most of the compliance training, there's no tests. Um, I know for CPAs, the industry just wants people to sit there and watch something. They don't even check to see if they're actually understanding it. So, um, you know, there's a lot of changes in industries that should be looked at for the compliance training on that. But um, if you had it and you made the training part of everybody's job on a daily basis, like maybe they spent 10 minutes a day doing their training, they log in and they, you know, you break it up so it can be done in 10 minutes. You've just saved all that money to coordinate training, pull people out of their job, cover that job, et cetera. And you have the analytics to see if they're actually doing it. How long did they do it? Did they pass it? Maybe you've got somebody that's not even logging in. So um, there's a lot of value there. Okay. It's so... Like, yeah, like you said, there, there's a lot of, and I'm sure you can probably go on and on about that, I'm, especially being somebody who's been doing e-learning for a very long time. Uh, I do have a question. So, like, uh, me, I am a software developer, uh, for the listeners who don't know. And one of the challenges being a developer is constantly keeping up with the technology. One year is Angular, one year is React, next year it's a new thing, it's a new hotness. And... Actually, a lot of interviews, they're kind of sit down and ask you, how do you learn? And I've always thought that was an interesting question because I think for some developers, they look at it like, oh, well, I go through documentation. Other people are like, I watch YouTube videos. Some people say, I just start building things to figure it out. Um, but since you kind of mentioned that e-learning can be used for a company and a business, 
how would you say e-learning separates itself from somebody making content on uh, YouTube or something like that? Um, that's a great question. And if there is something good on YouTube that somebody puts out there, all you have to do is link to it in your LMS and then you can see which of your employees or your participants are watching it. And you could ask a couple of questions after it to see if they understood the, the information. So if you're looking for, you know, some sort of commonality to make sure that every one of your developers is watching these four videos, instead of just emailing them, here's the videos and filling up their email box, you could post it on a group forum within an LMS that they go to every week and you can see who's participating, who's asking questions and who's um, interacting on the uh, information that you're providing with those videos. Okay. Uh, now, in my experience with e-learning, you have videos, but you can also have, like you said, a lot of, a lot of other, uh, I, I don't know exactly the term, but like more educational content uh, so going back to college, for me, uh, we used Blackboard at ASU. And you could watch videos on Blackboard, but they also had quizzes. They also had your grades. Uh, pretty much anything that I think a teacher really needed to evaluate a student, they had there. Um, what type of content can you create using an uh, e-learning platform? Well, using an LMS, um, you know, there's different platforms. So using an LMS you can add learning assets or resources to your online course. So you have a course shell and you can put videos in there. You can put group activities. You could put um, live sessions where people are scheduled to meet either the instructor or in groups at a certain time. And that breaks out automatically from the LMS and there could also be reading, self-study, or 3D platform access, which we've done a lot of um, design in in the last couple of years for training. But um, one thing that you said a little while ago was some people learn from reading, some don't. And if you're making a really good course, you need to consider, are they auditory, visual, or kinetic learners? And you need to cover activities that will fit everybody and keep people engaged. And some of the best stats out of incorporating e-learning is that if you just show a standard slideshow, if it's in a classroom or online, the best retention that you will get out of that is 30%. People will remember 30% of the information they saw. You can push that with um, learning retention um, activities and resources, group collaboration, all the way up to 90%. Wow. Yes, exactly. And a lot of that is taking the time to make sure that the content, the activities and everything are engaging. It's not just words. It's not just video, but there's interacting and engagement Okay. So, and I mean, I would imagine, especially um, as a student, and for those of you who don't know, I, my whole family comes from an educational background. So yeah, I, I, I can totally see the value in that because I've 
I'm guilty myself where a lot of times when I'm watching a video, you just kind of zone out or did you get the content? You're not really challenging the student whether they understand the concepts or understand the fundamentals or really just can take notes or answer questions after watching a video. So having that engagement, uh, more engagement, I would imagine would help produce better results for people taking something online. Yeah, and a lot of people mistake that video is interactive or engaging. Watching a video is still passive learning. You're not doing anything. You're sitting there watching it just as if you were sitting there reading something. So it's still passive. You want active learning is the next step to help with retention. I like that, active learning. Um, so I, I do have another question then. So you kind of spoke about uh, videos, like you said, it's a passive learning um, area. But my question is, what about sites like Udemy or I don't know if they're called e-learning sites, but really where you can just buy a course and try to learn something. Like, how, what's your thoughts on those? Is that formal e-learning or is that a, yeah, a shell of it? It's both. You can go to Udemy or Coursera or edX and get free courses or buy them. I think they all nowadays... Uh, some of the courses will give you the option to pay extra and you get to go through the certificate program. And I think edX is the one that has most of it from uh, prestigious universities. So you can either take the class for very little or free, or if you want to take it and actually get credit for it, it's like $150 or something along those lines. lines. They all vary. But all of those come down to is the course engaging? Are you going to pay a hundred bucks for a course that you're going to be bored silly or you can't understand the person they're mumbling or their accent is so bad you can't focus? Um, I have a problem if I'm in a course or in a presentation where the speaker says, um, or like, and I'll sit there and focus on how many times they're saying that than any of the content. And um, it's just one of my pet peeves. And, uh, you know, I have a very hard time getting past that. But if you're paying for a Java course on Udemy or something and you can't stand the instructor or the course wasn't put together well, then you've kind of wasted your money. So all those sites have exceptional courses, but all those sites also have disappointing courses right and i like i said i am very guilty of this um i remember i was trying to get a better understanding of a java framework uh for those who are devs uh, known as spring and found this site the site looked amazing the css the animations everything he would he had like this great form and i'm not gonna call him out because i don't want to bash anybody on the podcast but it was one of those things where i'm like man this guy knows his stuff Second I bought the course, you log in, and it was structured out. Uh, it seemed like his curriculum development, uh, instructional, instructional design, all that was great. And the second I hit play, I was like, I can't understand it. And that was so frustrating. Yeah, I know a lot of the sites now, Coursera, edX, and Udemy, they 
have a rating or a review system. And if anyone goes to any of those, I highly recommend do not pay for anything unless you read the reviews. Don't just read the five stars. Um, make sure you read at least three in every star um, amount. Because you'll see, you know, if sure a lot of somebody might have this course is great, but if you get into, you know, the people that are actually saying I had a hard time understanding them, well, then you're going to know if that's a problem that you have. Well, maybe this isn't the course for you. And a lot of those sites will give you your money back or give you a credit if, you know, you can't, you just can't do it. Um, I have uh, bought courses for my team for various skills in the past, and we've gotten credit to go take a course from somebody else on some of those sites. Okay. So that's good to know because, yeah, like I said, I, I've definitely bought some courses off Udemy and other sites in the past, and some of them were great. Some of them I'm like, man, I kind of wish I would have asked for a credit to look at something else. But all right. Well, Catherine, we covered up. We covered a lot of good stuff. Uh, we're about to go into halftime right now to let our sponsors do what they do. Uh, and then we will resume the interview. Sounds good. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Hello. This is Rachel from London. Sharon had a date this evening, so I'm filling in. She told me that I need to make this the best halftime show ever. Caleb wants the podcast to be worldwide. He asked me to step in today. Did you know the podcast is trying to get to 1,000 total plays by the end of April? Make sure to share with your friends, family, spouse, kids, nieces, nephews, that weird fellow down the street and of course, your mother. The podcast is growing. The day one listeners are supporting, but we need more. Caleb is working on providing more content to our listeners and working on our first sweepstakes. Stay tuned and maybe you will be the one to get the lucky prize. Now for the tech fact of the week. Enjoy, you tech people. Well, thank you, Rachel. And like she said, Sharon is out today. But I'm just going to jump into the tech fact of the week. And we're going to be talking about domains. Did you know the very first domain registered was www.symbolics.com on March 15, 1985? And to follow up, did you know all the letter combinations from AAA.com to ZZZ.com have already been registered? And lastly, because I am a huge fan of YouTube, did you know the domain name www.youtube.com was registered on February 14th? Shout out to Valentine's Day, people. 2005. Domains are very, very popular. Back in the day, they used to be kind of like how Bitcoin is today and cryptocurrency, where people are like, I'm just going to buy these domain names because somebody's going to come back with me and they're going to want to buy it. And actually, one more fact for you guys. Amazon.com were previously previously known as Kadabra.com. So as you can see, domain change. And the one advice I have, if you are starting a business, make sure you can get the domain name secured lockdown. Well, that's all I got for you guys. That's the tech fact of the week. 
We're going to jump right back into the interview. Yes, sir. We are back. I have the lovely Catherine in the studio today. So again, thank you for being here for today's episode. Thank you for having me. Of course. And really learning a lot. And it was funny because we're talking about e-learning today. Um, we kind of gone over what e-learning is, uh, who can use e-learning company, whether it's a company or a school or a small business. Uh you kind of talked about the difference between YouTube and Udemy and e-learning, like how e-learning is a little bit of those things, but also there's more to it. But let's talk about what makes a successful e-learning course. A successful e-learning course comes down to, um, I would say the number one thing is, are you engaging your participants? If your participants are engaged, they're completing the course, then it's a successful course. So back to making sure that you're focusing on auditory, kinetic, um, visual learners, and um, it's dropped out of my mind, um, what you call people that read. all of those, making sure that you're covering all the learning types in your course and making sure that it's interactive. The more interactive it is, the more active they're learning versus passive, the more successful that course will be. Okay. Now, when you when you mention interaction, so for me, I am a very big fan of TeamTreeHouse.com. And for those of you who don't know, Treehouse is a site where they do a really good job at walking you through uh, courses related to programming, understanding uh, programming concepts, but they also are very visual. They have a lot of great animations to show you this is how a back, this is how backend works, this is how frontend works, this is how a request works, and so on and so forth. Uh, one of the things I am kind of curious uh, to hear more about from you is... You know, we talked about different businesses uh, utilizing e-learning, but if I'm a business, it's all about either making money or saving money, right? Where can yes. where can e-learning really either make you money or save you money? Because the reason I brought up Treehouse, they their main business is e-learning. They want people to come, sign up, take their courses, learn programming to some extent and then continue to pay month to month. And there's really no like, hey, did you learn it? It's more like, hey, if you want this content, you have to pay for us. But if I'm a business, you know, how how does that really help me with my ventures moving forward? Uh, there's a lot. Um, so one point is, you know, if you have a help desk in your company, you've got issues coming in on tickets, support tickets. If you're getting a lot Hopefully your let me back up. Hopefully your help desk is structured so you are analyzing the categories and the groups of support issues that are coming in. So you should be able to pinpoint what's coming into your uh, help desk and be able to target your training if it's internal or if it's external comp- 
companies or internal employees is what I meant, um, that they would be able to put out training that would target the support issues and that would lower your support costs because you would have less of those issues coming in. And I've worked for companies where we have done such um, training or how-tos or listed things on the support site, how to get around XYZ if there was a bug. And the more that we put out, the less that we got those support issues coming in. So that's one um, huge piece. And another one is uh, we did a presentation on LMSs for startups. And you could take a um, an LMS and actually onboard employees through various courses and have them upload their I-9s. And I mean, this is a stretch, but you, you know, if you're a um, startup on a shoestring, you could put all your information, all your company information, HR, and transfer uh them from one course from HR course to their department course and so on. And each of those courses would have forums and all your information on your holidays. So you could use it as a, not only a training on, uh, you know, specific tasks, but it could also be a training on the company goals, the mission statement, the culture, um, activities, everything. Okay. So let's just take a step back here. So really what we've kind of discovered as we've been talking here is, you know, e-learning just isn't a uh, educational university type technology. Uh, most people probably run into it in a, in a learning environment like that. Uh, I know I have, but it also sounds like if I'm a business, like you're saying, I, I've never actually heard that concept before where, you know, if you are actually looking at the data and figuring out, hey, we're getting a lot of tickets are related to, you know, using Microsoft Excel. A lot of people don't know how to use Excel. Why don't we have a training about that? See if you reduce these tickets, see if performance improves in another sh shape or form, correct? Exactly. And it's, you know, that's workflow management and just watching the analytics and making sure that you're tracking what's coming in and what's being addressed. Okay. And then actually I do have another thing. So we, we kind of mentioned interaction and we talked about the different types of learning uh, styles that some people might have, whether it's visual or audio or something in between. But the only, when I think of interaction, I, I'm thinking of, am I like pointing and clicking? Uh, I know some sites do some gamification. Uh, can you kind of speak on the different types of interaction that e-learning platform could provide? Sure. Um, let me see. So where we could begin, <laughs> uh, let's start at the fun part first. So we've been developing training on 3D platforms, similar to Sims or Second Life. And your course, um, as a participant, you would log into such a platform and you would be going through a obstacle course or a trail that taught uh, leadership, or it could uh, have you walking through a hospital talking about um, 
um, emergency situations, where to go, where you should go. Um, we've, we're doing, we're working on one where we're teaching people how to estimate, uh, painting contracts, contractors, how to estimate, um, on houses in commercial buildings. And that's all done in a 3d platform. So they're walking through, looking at these actual buildings, walking inside them and looking at what they should be estimating on to teach them how to estimate properly in the real world. We've, uh, used this platform also for training, building inspectors on the new energy code for a client. And we have residential and commercial buildings where we are opening the wall and showing the insulation or looking at the windows and all of these um, pieces of the building count towards um, your energy percentage on will this um, building pass the, uh, this is in California energy code. So, um, it's come in really handy to create a job site situation where you would never be allowed to take building department inspectors onto a job site. The contractor is never going to let, you know, inspectors learn on their job site and find everything that's wrong there. Sure. You know, but what we did was we created the job site virtually and we bring them in virtually and we are constantly adding to the buildings for um, roof, roofing trainings, insulation, windows, um, monitored power and HVAC systems and so on. So um, that has worked out really well. And I do have a certification in gamification and learning. And uh, that has come in handy with really getting to push and think outside the box of what you can do. And those are just examples of some of the stuff we've come up with. Simple um, engagement or interaction would be instead of just a simple quiz, have pictures and they have to drag one picture on top of another. So like, which tool are you gonna use to change a tire? Well, you grab that tool and you drop it onto the tire. And just that little bit of kinetic movement of clicking on something, dragging it with your mouse and releasing it has shown that it actually increases learning retention. Yeah, and I would agree. And one thing I will say, I feel like gamification is one of those buzzwords of 2018, maybe prior to 2018, but I do feel like a lot of people hear gamification and they think clicking, click here, you know, the first thing I really think about when I hear gamification is the point system and, mm-hmm. you know, getting <laughs> points. And it's like, hey, you've taken so many courses, you got 100 points. Some uh, sites that I've used use those points in a way where you're like, hey, just pat on the back. Good, good for you. You can kind of show off how many points you have to whoever it is you want to show it off to. But I've always been impressed with sites where they're like, hey, if you get a thousand points, then like your next month is free or you do a discount. Yeah, we were working with a cannabis company that was seed to sale in where it's legal in certain states. And they handed us their operating procedures and said, we want to make courses. And it was really fun to actually do because... Um, along with gamification and pinpointing who your participants are, you really have to look at 
style of learning and different generations have different styles of learning. So we got to create all these based on millennials and we changed the entire course formats to instead of completed, you're leveling up. So we really pushed the gamification kind of tongue in cheek to all of it was uh, arcade game lingo in the course. And as they finished the courses, they got badges and they could turn in so many badges to get a better badge. But along with that, there was interactive videos and drag and drops and uh, being able to kinetically pick and choose, um, you know, the correct answer if it was a quiz or interactive drag and drop or a puzzle or something along those lines. And all of that helps. And I guess for me, being a, a technologist myself, that I, I never really considered uh, virtual reality and 3D uh, imagery as a way to train people, especially like the example you gave of construction. You're right. You never had the chance to say, hey, you're a new guy. Learn on a job because that's just not going to happen. Um, but yeah, I, I guess like moving forward, like it could really get uh, pretty cool. Uh, like, you know, we have AI, we have virtual reality. Um, but, you know, in 2025, like who knows what's going to be available. And, you know, those all seem like technologies that e-learning could really include or implement in its own world to really say, hey, we couldn't do this before, but now look what we can do. Yeah, we've done a little bit of virtual reality, mainly on the 3D platform, but I think where it'll be very interesting to see is how you, people are going to incorporate augmented reality with training. I think that's going to open a lot of different doors. And this to clarify for our listeners, augmented reality is like me in my room, but I see a digital R2-D2 to my right wearing glasses, but I'm still in my room. It's like, a, it's like it's in the room, but not really. Is that correct? Correct. So you are placing yourself into another world, and it's usually done with a headset nowadays. Right. Yeah, uh, I know. Um, I've heard some stories that, like, for the Air Force or for the pilots, they kind of have to experiment with some augmented reality just to get an idea like, hey, how do you react to certain situations uh, virtually first? And then we see what's like actually putting you in a plane or whatever it is. And that's actually one thing that we haven't talked about on this show is simulation training. And a lot of times they're using kind of a virtual reality simulation, but we've also done simulation training for software uh, um platforms or SaaS systems to show people how to go in and click here and click there to actually show them, but it's a simulation. So if they click on something, it'll pop up and tell them if it was correct or not. And it looks like the actual software. We started with a recording of the real software and then you're doing simulation training on top of it. Okay. So that leads into my next question then. So we've talked a lot about e-learning We've kind of dived deep into an LMS and what it is and what you can do with it. Now, how do you make good content? Like, what do you need to use or what, what tools do you need to make content for e-learning? Oh, always the first time, the first 
I got an echo all of a sudden. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, the first thing to look at is what does the client want? What is the end? Um, what is the solution? Maybe, and the solution isn't a course. Like, what are they trying to get out of it? What is the skill set that they want the people that they're going to put in this course to obtain? So you have to look at that before you figure out how you're going to build it or what you're going to build it with. But um, the for software simulation, the best software out there is Adobe Captivate. Um, Adobe Captivate will also do interactive SCORM files, AICC, um, Articulate Storyline does the same thing, except it doesn't do the simulations as well. I don't know if Storyline has GPS um, routing or um, notifications where I had seen where a zoo had used Captivate and created training on the different animal habitats and you, the people that work there would carry an, an iPad and based on your GPS location, the training would start up depending on what habitat you were in Whoa. Uh, front of. Yeah, it was so cool. Okay. And so Captivate had the ability of using GPS locators to kick off training based on what animal habitat you were in front of. So uh, that was really interesting to see, uh, which then, you know, brings it to being, again, more proactive training than reactive. Right. All they had to do was have the um, iPad with them for the training to start up, the correct training. Um, so those, those are kind of the two big ones. There's a lot of little companies that, um, do, that will do the SCORM files and interactive training. We also, you know, have platforms like, uh, Second Life that we've created training on and, you know, that pulls in scripters and 3D developers to create a lot of the textures and objects in the world and then scripting you know how people how the objects react to the people as they walk there or touch them for various training um cap um camtasia by TechSmith is a very inexpensive software that will produce um SCORM files and do video editing and you can import your PowerPoint into it and add video and stills and uh, it's probably one of the most inexpensive but it's an incredibly powerful tool and we use Camtasia and Captivate and Adobe Presenter and um, PowerPoint uh, and a lot of them mixed in together depending on what the output what the end game is for the project. Awesome. But there's hundreds of software systems out there that of course. could do it. So, you know, that, I mean, so yeah, that's, so we really, we kind of co covered a few different things. So it sounds like Adobe, Captivate, uh, Articulate, Storyline, those are two separate products. 
but they both generate a SCORM AICC, which I'm assuming is some type of file format. Is that correct? Yes, it's an actual packaged file that goes into a e-learning course. You can also put it in other um, platforms, but for the most part, it goes into an LMS course. Okay. And the package will track um, how long the person was in there. You can set like they can't click past a certain thing without doing it, doing some activity. They can't finish it early. There's different settings you could put on a SCORM or AICC file okay. to make sure that people are in there long enough or understanding what they should be uh, getting out of the training. And I, I leave um, just for our listeners so they understand, like, because I guarantee a lot of our listeners have seen something in SCORM, but they just didn't know what they were seeing. But for me, a lot of e-learning that I've done, you have like an intro page and it might have a lot of text or it might have some files to download. Then your next section might be a video, whether it's a YouTube video or Vimeo or Wissia or something unique with normally just a generic video welcoming you to the course. And then you have like this, it's not necessarily a video, but there's audio going on and maybe some animations. And then at the end of uh, this segment, then it's like, hey, drag and drop, you know, the right uh, answers to the right questions or whatever the case is. I'm assuming that is a piece that is the SCORM, the Adobe yeah. Captivate or Articulate Storyline. That's what they generate. Yeah, so it would be, it would have a start um it would have a, a start button just like your video, but it will go through text and objects and ask questions, and it'll also pick up wherever you left off the next time you go back to it. Those are definitely, yeah, that's a SCORM or an AICC file. Okay. So, you know, we pretty much, for the most of the show today, we've been talking about what e-learning is why it's important, what's the value, why you should be as a business or at university or a startup should be implementing e-learning and the benefits. But I want to transition or focus for a bit. If I was a person who wanted to get into e-learning, where would I start? Uh, that's a good question. The... You know, there's various roles in e-learning, graphic designers, project managers, editors, voiceover, instructional designers, 3D modelers. There's all kinds of jobs that will fall into e-learning. Um, the most important fit that I've seen, unless you're an instructional designer, you need some sort of tech background to be a very good fit because... You have the pedagogy, um, you know, the learning theory type people that come in, the instructional designers that will design how the, the uh, training should go. But a lot of times, neither of those have any tech experience, and it's all on a tech platform. So making a transition from tech into e-learning is a good role or good direction if you're going in that direction um it's a very complicated field and i don't know if i'd recommend it for a lot of people the hardest thing and still today with me being in e-learning for over 10 years now is 
I still have a problem explaining to people what I do. And until people understand e-learning more and the benefits of it, you know, you're constantly trying to explain people what's the benefit of what you do and why they should hire you or hire your company to do it. And that's the hardest piece. So it's kind of a in the back, you know, behind the curtain where nobody really understands it. They see the courses, they know that they need to take training, but a lot of people don't think about what does it take to get there. And, you know, I think the average is one hour of e-learning takes somewhere between 60 and 70 hours of actual production time. Okay. So it's huge. You know, there's a lot of effort that goes into it, but then you can use that one hour over and over for, you know, tens of thousands of people. Right. Okay. So... I don't know if that's the answer you were looking for. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, so, like, like always, I appreciate the honesty and the transparency. Um, I guess to kind of recap here, so might be a little bit, well, I don't want to say hard to enter, but really what I'm taking away from what you were saying is if you're a tech person and if you have tech skills already, whether, whether you're a developer or something tech-related, like you said, graphic designer, web designer, or just something with technology. It's a lot easier to go from, hey, I have a tech background. Now I'm going to try to learn some of these e-learning fundamentals and try to merge those two skill sets together. But it sounds like it's a lot harder if I am an instructional designer trying to build a phenomenal course when I don't understand how the tech works. Is that is that a good way yes. to sum it up? Yes. So if you are an admin of a CRM system and you understand the roles and the different roles for the different access levels, you know, transitioning to being an admin on an LMS platform won't be as much of a struggle as it would be for a teacher in a classroom to all of a sudden be that admin. All right. So, I mean, that, that makes sense. So, can you explain to our listeners, because we've mentioned it a few times, but I don't want to go with any assumptions. What is a, what's an instructional designer? Like, what is those roles and responsibilities and how do they tie into e-learning? Uh, an instructional designer is a person that usually is the, an instructional, a person that knows how to design a course and they're an expert in it. They usually have a certification or they have tons of experience and that can be for face-to-face -face training. So instructor-led training, ILT is what it's called, where you're in front of a group of people in a class. Or they could be an instructor, or they could be a, a designer for an online course or an online webinar. And that is someone that would, you know, create the course format. Sometimes a lot of them will storyboard it out so there's a story and how you're getting them from the beginning to the end of the course it's a lot like making um like a short film in some ways now do a lot of instructional designers do they have to have like a teaching teacher or you know background at all some do some don't um it depends like uh we work with in 
with subject matter experts and we've all met, you know, the expert in field XYZ and that person has no ability to teach or transfer their knowledge, but they are the expert. So we go in and work with those people and we extract their knowledge and we create the course or we create the class that will teach what's in their head that you want that person to be able to put their knowledge on other people and train more people. So sometimes the instructional designer or the course creator has that information. And a lot of times if you're going into specific industries, you don't. Like we've worked with utilities and the training of building departments. I'm not the expert. I can definitely, you know, after the last five years, talk about code um, <laughs> by working with the subject matter experts, but I'm not the expert. But we've helped extract that information from them to design the courses. So we've talked about, you know, businesses, again, making money or saving money. But if I were to get into the e-learning space, like, is there, and not to be too shallow, but, like, is there money involved in e-learning? Is it a untapped market or is it something that's growing rapidly? Like, you know, what are your thoughts about this e-learning from a monetization standpoint? It's it's a growing market, but if you look over, you know, the past 30 years, when the economy goes down, the first thing that companies cut is training or continuing ed. So I suspect that e-learning will be slashed from corporate budgets as soon as the economy, you know, falters quite a bit. Um, but it can be, you know, I'm self-employed and I have a team that works with me. I would say there's not that much money in owning your own business, at least in the startup <laughs> phases. <laughs> right. But, you know, we have a, an amazing product. And once we figure out how to market ourselves, hopefully we'll be making more money. But the big companies that hire um, ed tech consultants or for e-learning jobs, LMS admins, the pay is decent. The, it's not... And sometimes the pays really well. An e-learning job at Facebook pays really, really well, but so does everything else. Right. So it's similar to technology, but your instructional designer is not going to make the money that the, you know, software designer is going to make. Right. And I guess one thing, just to really piggyback off your point, in terms of... Like, there is opportunity, like you were saying. It really depends on your skill set and what they're looking for. If uh, My experience, since I've done some e-learning in my background, is, and now I'm being a software developer, kind of like we were saying earlier, some people will just want this custom solution. Where they're like, hey, we want this system to talk to this system, which connects to this other system. And now you're not necessarily talking about e-learning. You're talking about integration within multiple products but it is nice when they're like do you know what this system does and do you know the ins and outs of it so i would at least i would say from my standpoint if the more technical skills you have related to e-learning 
whether it's mastering Adobe Captivate, uh, Articulate Storyline, or understanding the different LMSs and how you can integrate them, like you said, with Salesforce or different CRMs, I would imagine there's some opportunity there. Yeah, and if you are a technical project manager and you have a technical base, you could go in as an e-learning project manager. And a lot of the projects that I've been on that have major problems are a project manager coming in with their PMP certification and no tech background. And um, I don't know, I think every single one of those projects have never been completed (laughs) that we were brought in to help with. And you know, the person was great. They knew how to manage a project, but they didn't understand how to manage a tech project and all the different pieces that fall into that. Right. And like you said, there's a lot of, there's many aspects to e-learning that you have to consider. So that would make sense to me where it's one of those fields where depending on what you're trying to accomplish, who your audience is, you would ideally love to have a project manager who understands this is what we're trying to solve and this is how we're going to try to solve it. Exactly. All right. And that's where you get the most success. So, Catherine, we are about to wrap up the show. So I guess I need to ask you, uh, what is next for you and your team for 2018? Um, we've got a couple big virtual 3d virtual world projects we're working on and we are hoping to be presenting and speaking at dev learn this year and a small e-learning conference in montana called mountain moot and uh i'm also speaking with a couple atd groups this year on gamification so we're trying to get out there okay and for our (laughs) listeners who don't know so dev learn uh, is a huge e-learning conference. Is that correct? Yes, it's the it's the technical side of e-learning. So okay. it's a lot of developers, a lot of the tech people. It's all software. So uh, if you're trying to get into that side, it's a great place to go and even just hit the expo floor. Okay. And then uh, was it Moodle Moot or Moot Moodle? Mountain Moot. It is. Mountain Moot. It's a lot about Moodle, but it's more than just that. They go beyond Moodle and it's, um, I've spoke on project management there and virtual reality 3D training. And uh, a lot of people speak on, you know, CSS and custom customizing your interface. So it's not just Moodle. It's a lot of uh, tips and tricks for the e-learning managers. Okay. Awesome. So those are so those are pretty much on your team's calendar, and you've also done well. In my opinion, you've done a really great job of not only breaking things down, but it seems like you've done speeches like this in the past. So if somebody wanted to contact you, whether it was reaching out for e-learning advice, or they're looking for a consultant, or they maybe want to hire your team, um, what is the best way to reach out to you? Um, our website has, uh, fortech.net has, um, all of the various routes via LinkedIn, Twitter, or email, um, is the best. Any of those routes, like 
you know, most of us tech people, I don't answer the phone that often unless it's <laughs> scheduled on my calendar. Okay. <laughs> That's really sad, isn't it? <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I never answer my phone unless it's my girlfriend or mother, so I can totally relate. <laughs> I don't answer my mother. <laughs> anyway. Uh, okay, so this is our listeners, so they caught that again. So that's for tech, and I'll make sure to add this information in the show notes. But that's for tech, and that's F-O-R-T-E-C-H dot com? Dot net. Dot net, sorry. And uh, anybody, do you want anybody to hit you up on Twitter? or? Yeah, we're for tech net. At Twitter, uh, our Twitter handle is Fortechnet. Okay, and then and my, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was gonna say. And then, what services does your company offer? So our listeners have an idea. We do um, e-learning consulting and development, and workflow management. So, if you need help with streamlining systems, or um, you know, from beginning to end, seed to sale, or new client to go live, cleaning up the process of handing it off to the uh, different departments. We do a lot of workflow uh, management, which also ties into uh, help desk solutions, client intake solutions, and e-learning. They all kind of uh, wrap in together, but those are the three areas that we work on. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. This has been one of my favorite episodes because I really felt like I learned a lot, uh, especially um, for those of you who don't know, like I have worked in the e-learning space for a short period of time, but some of the things that Catherine mentioned today, I wasn't even aware of. So again, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. This has been very fun. Yeah. And for our listeners, for those of you who don't know, um, we're probably going to be interviewing Catherine again in the future, because uh, again, she she kind of the she's a a plethora of things. Where she's an e-learning expert and consultant, but she's also a woman in tech, which we 100% encourage all women in the tech space. Uh, she's also her own boss. Uh, she's done her own startup. Uh, she's now doing workflow management. So there's probably going to be more episodes in the future with Catherine. So again, thank you for being on a podcast. And do you have anything to say before we wrap up today's episode? No. Thank you so much for inviting me. This has been great. Well, thank you again for being on. And guys, thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this episode on the People in Tech podcast. And we are out. Peace. <laughs>